So I often have these moments where inspiration strikes and I make a podcast episode and that's what's happening today. Now, for those of you who are listening to the free version of this podcast right here, if you would like to get my best tips and particularly the information that is the most geared toward kind of advanced stages of mold avoidance or later in mold avoidance or kind of more the boots on the ground nitty-gritty of mold avoidance, then I do have a paid version of this podcast that is $10 a month to sign up for. And you can get to it on the uh, Podbean app, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, or on my podcast website by clicking on premium episodes. I just made a premium episode that discusses the one mold avoidance skill that is most important to me after doing mold avoidance for five and a half years. And I named that series of episodes um, Lessons from the Future, because it's basically what the future me right now would tell my old self. And so I highly suggest listening to that if you're interested. Okay, so on to today's topic. The moment of inspiration that I had that I'm very excited about is I have not been able to articulately describe why us mold avoiders are so focused on such a narrow spectrum of health interventions. You know, and this has frustrated me over the last couple years because the idea has sort of been bouncing around in my head and I probably have explained it. You know, I've said things like the singularity of mold avoidance. That's a podcast episode that I made But people still say to me, well, maybe you just need diet and exercise. Maybe you need supplements. Maybe you need to de-stress. Maybe you're not getting enough sleep. You know, these, I guess this podcast episode is a little bit targeted toward non-mold avoiders. You could share this with family and friends if you are a mold avoider, or if you're kind of on the fringes of mold avoidance and you don't really get it, that's sort of who I'm talking to. But this will also apply to mold avoiders as well. So... There's this dichotomy that happens when someone starts doing mold avoidance and they sort of become obsessed with this singularity. And I'm going to go into that in detail, but let me let me just provide an analogy that I've used in the past, but I think it will drive this home in a new way that I haven't really discussed before. And that is, picture someone with celiac who has been sick their whole life. I actually have a, a new friend that I met that has celiac that just discovered it. And they, they, they're skinny, they lose weight, they, they have diarrhea, they can't digest food, they have inflammation. And then one day they discover that they have celiac and avoiding gluten can give them sort of a miraculous recovery. One of my wife's best friends had this happen. She had a miraculous recovery when she discovered she was celiac, which is, of course, normal. That person could get or will get one million times more benefit by avoiding gluten than by doing anything else, right? If they had not discovered they were celiac and they went on a healthy diet and they took supplements and they did acupuncture and they filtered their water and they... I mean, the list goes on, you know, juice fasting, all this stuff, essential oils, herbs right? If they didn't discover that they were celiac and they kept eating gluten, they're still going to be sick as hell. 
that is the correct analogy for mold illness. But where it gets a little bit tricky is that the true cause of mold illness isn't just all mold. It's not just test your house and see if there's mold. It is a different path that I did not discover, by the way. I am not claiming to be an expert or the discoverer or anyone important. I am simply sharing what I have learned. So just so that's clear, I'm not claiming to be the the leader of this movement or this discovery in any way. I'm just sharing information that I've gleaned. So there is a, a process of becoming unmasked where you do a sabbatical from your house, from your environment. You Probably most of you guys have heard me talk about this before. If you have not, I have a free podcast episode. It's not paid. It's back toward the beginning of the free episodes about doing a mold sabbatical and how that can, by avoiding your house, your belongings and everything like that for a week or two, you know, staying at a hotel, whatever, it can help you determine if your environment is problematic. And then possibly even your outdoor air is problematic. And once you get set on this path and you start to realize that your health problems are caused by a particular set of mold, then it sets you on a path similar to a celiac person. You discovered the root cause of your sickness. You know what the problem is and you can get better, right? This doesn't mean that eating healthy and filtering your water and getting acupuncture and massage is bad. It doesn't mean it's bad, right? But the reason this is so important is because so many family and friends, and let's face it, dealing with family and friends and having them understand your situation is a big challenge. It may be the biggest challenge of doing mold avoidance, right? If we had societal acceptance of this, the whole thing would be much easier. So this is really important. Sometimes family and friends kind of tilt their head and look at you funny when you say, oh, there's an outdoor toxin here, or, oh, you know, I can't go back to my house because of my moldy belongings. This is a critical point because this is the explanation for why when family and friends and doctors say, oh, just do hyperbaric oxygen. Oh, just get in a sauna. You can tell them, no, I am like a celiac patient and I discovered my problem. And just like a celiac patient can get a million times better by avoiding their problem, that's the same thing that's happening with me. Now, thank you very much for the suggestion to eat organic. Thank you very much for the suggestion to test my water for contaminants, but that's not the primary problem, okay? And the primary problem, unfortunately, is something that is not very well understood by society. And it's not documented in in scientific journals and stuff. But this is at least a framework for you to tell them that this style of mold avoidance, where you become unmasked and perceive problematic mold and learn to identify supertoxins, I'm not going to go into all that because it's all in my podcast and in all the great resources. If you haven't read it already, read the free book called A Beginner's Guide to Mold Avoidance. It was, it was, uh, you can get it as a download. If you Google that title, you'll get to the website. You can sign up for their information and download it. It's not my book. I don't have anything to do with it. This is the framework to use for discussing or understanding mold avoidance, that it is discovering a core underlying 
problem with the body and and fixing it and it takes precedence over everything else. I mean, you hear of stories like this all the time. I had a friend a long time ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago, who had a kid who was very, very sick and the kid wouldn't gain weight and they tried everything. And it turned out the kid had a rare vitamin deficiency that didn't allow his body to process. I want to say vitamin K. It was a vitamin that we don't talk about very much. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. And when the doctors found out about this, it took years. Kid was near death. Poor guy. Little five-year-old kid. My neighbor's kid. <clears throat> Nothing worked. When, they, when the kid finally found out, when the doctors finally found out about this kid's problem, he could take a $5 vitamin supplement, K, vitamin K or whatever it was, and he got better within like a year. He was totally recovered. So... Now, it's understandable for family and friends to be skeptical because they have seen us grasp for straws for many, many years. They're like, well, last year you were into, you know, killing Lyme disease and the year before that you were into chronic fatigue syndrome and the year before that you were into fibromyalgia and the year before that you went to see this specialist in Chicago. So they're like, oh, now he's into moldavoidance. It's just another one of those fads, right? So it's easy for family and friends to be skeptical, which is why I say you should send this this episode to them to help them understand. Well, yeah, but so was the kid who had the vitamin K deficiency or whatever vitamin it was and tried everything else. Once in a while, you find the thing that works. Now, some people are going to get into the whole thing of prove it, prove it works, prove this is your, your problem. Well, I mean, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not here trying to, to trying to prove anything. But when people experience recoveries that are dramatic enough to drive them to do continued mold avoidance, um, the logic is there. And the reason I say that is because, it, here, think, let's just work through this logically. If you have someone who's chronically ill and they're not getting better, they do not comply with treatment programs if they're not working. If they go to Dr. A and Dr. A prescribes these 10 things and it doesn't work after one, two, or three, or four, or six months, they move on to Dr. B and they move on to sauna. That's why our houses when we were sick was full of so many treatments and we spent thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. If someone is doing extreme mold avoidance, which is the most inconvenient and undesirable of all treatments, right? Like you might have to leave your house, you might have to leave your city, this insurance doesn't cover it. There's a lot of bad things about it. I'm not saying it's horrible. I mean, during my extreme mold avoidance, I was feeling so much better and it was so worth it. It was a blissful feeling to get my health back, but I'm talking about the inconvenience and the expense of it compared to the other stuff you've tried. Why would there be people who continue to do it year after year and continue to notice improvement, right? So it's kind of illogical to say to these chronic illness patients, hey, you gave up on treatments that were easier than this one. But this one doesn't work because, you know, it's, it's illogical to think that, that they would choose this. So that's all I'm going to say about the effectiveness. If someone wants double-blind, placebo-controlled studies that this style of mold avoidance works, I'm the wrong guy for that, right? I mean, this, I think we're years ahead of the science. Maybe one day science will look into this. Maybe not. I don't know. But I don't believe in just sitting around waiting for science to confirm it especially because it's a non-invasive treatment, right? Like if someone was suggesting that you pump yourself full of snake venom, then you might say, well, I'm not going to do that unless I have scientific studies. 
But mold avoidance is non-invasive. Um, it's not a risky treatment in the sense that, you know, it's, it's, yes, it is empiric and it is anecdotal, but it is not um, something that I would place in a high risk category. Okay, that being said, I wanted to mention one last bit of information on this topic, and that is that once you fix that core problem in the body, and that is to avoid problematic molds that you react to and learn to distinguish between reactions to things that are not problematic but still irritants, like chemicals and minor mold toxins, those things are not problematic, but they're still irritants. I go into much more detail in this in the premium podcast episode that I uploaded yesterday, if you guys want to check that out. Um, Once you learn to distinguish mold supertoxins from irritants or minor molds, which it does require mold avoidance skills. That's why we call mold avoidance skills. We have a word called mold avoided skills. Once you have learned that, there is another phase that I find fascinating, and, and that is that when the body is recovering, doing mold avoidance, it starts to wake up. And a lot of things that didn't used to work start to work again. So you might have never gotten benefit from killing Lyme disease or parasites or viruses, and then all of a sudden, all of that stuff starts to work again, dramatically work again, like in ways you couldn't even believe. That's another piece of evidence in my mind for why mold avoidance is real and works because it's just one more piece of the puzzle. You're like, oh, all this stuff all of a sudden works. That is another area where mold avoiders become very specific and sort of obsessed. And I want to just explain that to people who are listening, why that happens. Many of us go through a phase where we, our body is craving certain things to continue the recovery process. I went through a whole month during mold avoidance, like one month, where all I wanted to eat or drink was Strauss organic cream top milk. You go to the health food store and there's like that fancy expensive milk in glass bottles uh, with the cream top on it. I don't know why, but that was all my body wanted. I went like one whole month. I remember where I was. I remember the whole thing. And that, that, that those were the only calories I had. Nothing else. And... During that time, it was like I felt this deep core healing occurring, like blissful beyond description, that whatever was in that Strauss organic cream top whole milk was what my body needed. Maybe brain repair, maybe all the milk fat in there was repairing my nervous system. I don't know. But the interesting thing about it is that before that, when I was still living in mold, nothing helped. I could eat the best diet. I could do the best things. Nothing helped. It didn't matter. Of course it didn't matter. Just like a person with celiac, it doesn't matter what other stuff they do if they are still eating tons of wheat and gluten because they haven't discovered their celiac. So the specificity of what mold avoiders crave to heal continues even after they discover that they um, are a mold avoider, and that's their primary problem. The, what got me thinking about making this episode today was that I was drinking coffee. And many mold avoiders notice that while we couldn't tolerate coffee during, in living in mold, boy, if you can't tolerate coffee and you're listening to this podcast episode, you might be a mold avoider. I mean, I, I mean, you know, you like wish you could, but you can't even touch it. I hadn't been able to touch coffee for 20 years. And now I crave coffee and it clears my mind and my system in a way that I can't even describe. And so 
when people say, Brian, why are you drinking coffee? Why did you do that cream top whole milk? Why don't you take vitamins? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Right? We live in a world of do this and do that and do the other thing. We live in a world that falsely empowers us as individuals to think that we can pick and choose what our body needs. Bear with me here. We live in a world, a, a world of being politically correct and to each his own and let everybody do their own thing. And that's fine. I'm not saying I judge people for that when it comes to like religion or politics, whatever. Have your freedom. It's great. God bless America. I love living in a free country. But that's not how biology works. If you have a heart attack and you go to the hospital and they diagnose you with a heart attack and they're about to do emergency life-saving surgery on you, you can't put your hand on the surgeon's arm at the last minute and say, no, 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 no. I don't want to get heart attack surgery. I really feel like essential oils would help me. The doctor would laugh at you and go, okay, you're going to die, right? Like real biology is not a choose your own adventure story. It is not a um, do whatever you want. And see, like the way this works out in practice is we go to health food stores, we grab our cart and we feel empowered. We walk up and down the aisles and we look at all the beautiful brands and we go, Ooh, that I haven't tried that vitamin mix before. I really want to get that one. And that's going to be the trick that makes me better. That is a false sense of control. Probably if you are getting better on vitamins or stuff like that, your body is not broken beyond the point of no return or, or at least close to the point of no return. Because we know there are tons of chronic illness patients out there who've spent all their paychecks at the health food stores and still aren't even at all better, right? You know them. I know them. We all know them. So clearly... There is some actual underlying biology taking place that is beyond our subjective ability to pick our own adventure or pick our own side, pick our own political party, pick our own whatever. Like this is actual objective, independent biology going on. And my experience and my educated opinion is that when you discover that mold is your primary problem and not just any mold, not just a little bit of mold, but learning the process of mold avoidance, learning how to identify mold supertoxins and differentiate them from irritating mold or non-important mold. When you go through that, you kick off a domino effect that leads your body down the path of true objective biological repair. And it plays out in many interesting ways as the recovery process goes on. Another one that I craved for a really long time was Lakewood organic carrot juice. Lakewood organic carrot juice. I was in the health food store one day. I was stocking up on a lot of stuff. One of my mentors suggested I try some different juices. This was about two and a half years into mold avoidance. I got like 10 different juices and I started drinking them, you know, beet juice, this juice, that juice, vegetable juice. And I was like, okay, whatever. These are probably quote unquote good for me, but they didn't do anything for me. They didn't, didn't move the needle. And many of us are used to that, right? Nothing ever moved the needle. But all of a sudden, I popped open that, that glass jar of liquid organic carrot juice, and it was like every cell in my body was screaming for that stuff after that, after they got a hold of the first jar of it. And first of all, that was a really amazing experience for me because like I said, when we're still living in mold, when we're still chronically ill, um, nothing works. And so to even have your body craving something like that is actually kind of amazing. And then I needed that liquid organic carrot juice for like a year and a half. And I drank a crap ton of it. Please consult your doctor before drinking a crap ton of carrot juice or anything for that matter. I am not a doctor. 
it, some people say it can cause vitamin A toxicity. I don't know. All I know is that my body was craving that. And it was doing, it was fixing something that was deeply broken in my body. Um, some people have speculated that it's antifungal and carrot juice helped me because it's antifungal. But the beauty of it is that once you put your body on this healing path, it doesn't really matter why it works. The body has intuition, right? Are you going to tell the baby that just was born that's nursing on its mom? Oh, you shouldn't drink that breast milk because you don't understand the science of why it works. Or are you going to tell the thirsty person you shouldn't drink water because you don't understand the science of why water is important. No, we believe that there's a certain intuitive awareness in our body of what it needs. And this is a long lost art, right? I mean, modern science has completely taken up the power away from the human to determine what will make them healthy. If it's not placebo controlled, double blind, it doesn't exist. And in many cases, that's important. I do agree with, you know, of course, using scientific studies for many purposes. But there's a lot of things where intuition and listening to your body have been lost. Like that Ohio train spill, chemical disaster that just happened a few weeks ago, right? They're telling people, oh, it's safe to go back home. Well, what if you go back home and your eyes are burning and you're sick and you smell vinyl chloride in the air? Should you, should you go because the experts said or should you leave? Right? Like, duh. Like, that's how ridiculous our society has become. If there's not a double-blind, placebo-controlled study that shows that 370 million gallons or 1,000 gallons of vinyl chloride 10 feet from your house is harming you, then it's safe to go back. Really? Like, it's absurd. So that same logic to me applies during mold avoidance where you become aware of what your body needs and you experience dramatic improvement internally on your core symptoms over time. And if people don't believe you, okay, it's a free country, they don't believe you. But I'm giving you a background on why they could believe you, why they should believe you, and what maybe to tell people who at least have some degree of open mind about why us mold avoiders pursue these singular activities without much regard for anything else. And guys, I can't even tell you how completely deep this rabbit hole goes because when we are sick in our moldy house and we are so delicate, um, we kind of build these safety systems around us. Like we can't be around perfume and we can't drink a certain water and dust makes us sneeze and, you know, too much sunlight, we have to wear a hat and, you know, we can't eat after this hour and that protein powder makes us have diarrhea. And it's like endless just little things, right? The singularity with which the body communicates to you becomes so profound during mold avoidance that you almost even shock yourself. Like, I have gained, regained so much of my health back during mold avoidance that, like, nothing bothers me except for those singular items that I mentioned. Avoiding mold supertoxins, giving my body the foods that it craves, whatever. But, like, I can almost be, like, like an unhealthy person now. Like, I can, you know eat candy. Yeah, I could eat 10 Snickers bars and feel totally fine. Now, it doesn't mean I should. Don't get me wrong. Of course, even for a normal healthy person, e eating 10 Snickers bars is not smart, right? It's not smart for a lot of reasons. I don't need to list them for you. Diabetes, obesity, no, low nutrient density, fine, whatever. I'm not arguing with that. I'm just saying that, that mold avoidance has turned me into such a normal person that I like am too normal, Right? Like I could smoke a cigarette and nothing bad would happen to me. I haven't done it. 
But, you know, cigarette smoke, I used to react to it. Now it smells kind of good. I'm like, give me one of those. I have, like I said, I haven't done it. Um, going up and down in elevation doesn't bother me anymore. You know, all this stuff that should bother you according to a paradigm of chronic illness no longer does. It's just gone. It, it switches from you're sick and a little bit of anything bothers you to you're healthy and as long as you do the few singular things like avoid gluten for a celiac person, you're fine, right? Celiac, celiac person goes back to normal. They gain their weight back as long as they avoid gluten. They're fine. They don't think about stuff like that anymore. And that is the clarity and the singularity of mold avoidance that you just found the problem. It's not that it's not rocket science, guys. I mean, at the end of the day, this is not complicated, right? We know that in many instances, people discover a missing link in their health and they do get better. Unfortunately, that almost never happens for chronic fatigue and Lyme patients because it's my contention that at the root of chronic fatigue and Lyme is mold. And you're like, oh, that's such a huge, that's preposterous. Okay, do the research yourself. And again, I did not discover that fact that mold is at the root of chronic fatigue and Lyme. I don't know. I want to make that clear. I'm not taking credit for the discovery. It was discovered by Eric Johnson long before I came on the scene. I am just a beneficiary of past information. I am not a discoverer. I am not, I don't get the glory, the honor, the nothing. It's it's not like that. I'm just sharing, I'm a conduit of information that I've learned to people who want to hear what I have to say. That's all. I'm, I'm not an original discoverer, nothing like that. So this is why we do what we do as mold avoiders. It's because we found a missing piece and that missing piece was what was keeping us sick. And it's kind of funny now that I like laugh about Lyme disease you know, because I'm like, Lyme disease? Are people still thinking they have chronic Lyme disease? Yes, I said what I said. I don't consider Lyme, chronic Lyme disease to be a primary problem at all anymore in, in on planet Earth. Now, that doesn't mean that people don't need Lyme treatment. If you get bit by a tick, you have a bullseye rash. I think it's very smart to take antibiotics under the care of a doctor. If you have, if your chronic Lyme titers are high and you have a high bacterial load, I don't have a problem with using herbs or antibiotics to lower the bacterial bacterial load. I don't have a problem with that at all. What I am talking about are the people who have taken every herb, every antibiotic combination, IV antibiotics, hyperbaric oxygen, everything possible for Lyme disease, and they're still not better. And in fact, they're 10 times worse every year. That's what I'm talking about that I do not believe is actually chronic Lyme disease. I believe it's biotoxin illness and mold is the primary biotoxin and then Lyme gets stacked on top of that. And that was the situation with me. When I did mold avoidance, I still did benefit from a few Lyme treatments as I was in my first, you know, couple years of mold avoidance. But once I did enough mold avoidance, the Lyme just went away. It's just poof. It just went away. And that is very common for many mold avoiders to experience because of the singularity of mold avoidance, because you discover your problem. It's not that Lyme disease and Babesia and Bartonella were not a real problem. They were, but the reason they were allowed to proliferate in the body is because of mold. And I go into this a lot in my other podcast episodes, but you know, it's, it's, it's not unbelievable that this could happen, right? 
this is the last point I'll make. I could talk about this topic all day. Humans somehow decided at some point in the last hundred years that it is okay to live in prepackaged artificial homes built out of drywall, which is all cellulose decomposing material, particle board, processed plywood, which is very susceptible to getting moldy. Um, One of my friends who's a firefighter used to tell me about how much moisture plants and trees can hold. And this is important during fire season because it tells you which bushes and plants and trees will burn first. Like the, the trees and shrubs that dry out the fastest are the ones that burn the first first and the trees and shrubs that are able to hold on to water during fire season are the most um, safe and they will less likely to burn in a fire. Well, did you know that particle board and plywood is one of the most water absorbent building materials because the glue absorbs the water. So if particle board gets wet, it holds onto the water very, very tightly for a very long time. And you might say, oh, well, my new construction property never got wet. You don't know that. There could have been a little bit of moisture when that particle board was being made. And also just living inside of a house long enough, breathing in condensation from it being warm inside, cold outside, all of that stuff, um, can cause enough moisture inside particle board for mold to grow. And then we know that the mold supertoxins are created when mold has something to eat like plywood and there's chemicals present in the plywood because that's what makes mold supertoxin. It's mold plus chemicals. And we know that plywood is loaded with chemicals. I mean, it's one of the most chemical-laden materials. They put fire retardants in plywood. They put insect repellents in plywood. It even says when you go to Home Depot and you read the, the, the list of stuff that they do, they, they use it as a selling point. They say, you know, this plywood won't burn and it won't get eaten by insects and it won't bend and it won't, all this stuff. It has to have sheer strength. They put all these chemicals in it for a million different purposes, heavy metals, everything. So you have moisture attractive plywood with glue in it that has a high degree of moisture retention mixed with all these chemicals. And we sit in there and, and now building codes require houses to be airtight for, for, um, energy efficiency. And we sit in these houses all day long, all the time. And we require plumbing to be hidden in the walls. And, you know, even just the way houses are built, like there's an attic structure and wall cavities that you can't see. So even if there is a micro leak, just a teeny drop of water coming from a pipe or, or one of the shingles on the roof that didn't get placed properly. Everything about modern housing is not good for mold. Everything, right? Like we used to live in caves or brick houses or who knows, right? Everything about modern housing, everything is, is a mold risk and a mold problem. And yet people still tilt their head and look at us funny when we say, I have mold illness and I discovered my primary problem. You know why? It's simply because mold illness doesn't fit the paradigm and the narrative of modern medicine. Modern medicine is supposed to be something where you don't even think about your house or your shelter. It's fine. Or you run a little mold test, a little Petri dish, and if no problematic molds grow, you're fine. Or molds that they say are problematic, and they don't even consider that there could be other problematic molds that the test doesn't test for. Or that you could be so mold damaged that a very small amount could harm you. Um, The paradigm of modern medicine is... You go to the doctor or the naturopath and you get a bottle of supplements and you go home and you pop the pills and that's how you get better. And if you have mold illness, the paradigm is you do saunas 
and you take binders and that's how you get better. No one has considered the possibility that modern buildings could be so toxic that uh, that you really way over tolerance on that modern building if it's moldy, way over tolerance or even an older building, whatever. And then there's the outdoor mold supertoxins too that I won't go into because that's a whole nother topic, but there are outdoor mold supertoxins that are caused by chemicals mixing with mold outside. Not natural molds, not in the rainforest where it's humid and beautiful and untouched by humans. It's not humidity. It's mold eating chemicals that, that, that was discovered by Eric Johnson to be the problem. So that's not in the paradigm, guys. That's net, your relatives, your doctor. Nobody's ever going to look at you and say, oh, I, I, I get that because it's not in the paradigm. It's not in the paradigm, but it still could be the celiac missing link of your health problems. And it may or may not be. It's biology, guys. You don't get to pick. When you go to the hospital with a heart attack, you don't get to tell the doctor what you have. You either have it, you either have a heart attack or you don't. It's biology. It's, it's objective. That's the way this illness is. It doesn't matter if you like what I'm saying on this podcast. It doesn't matter if you think it's cool and neat and fun. It either is your problem or it isn't. It's either your problem or it isn't. That's a better question to ask. It's not, what's my opinion on this topic Brian's talking about? What do I think? How does it make me feel? Um, It's simply, do I have this problem or do I not? Right? You either do or you don't. There's, there's no, there's nothing. It's, it's, a, it's a third, it's an out, objective outside fact if you do or don't. This is why most of us don't try mold avoidance until it's too late or until we're so desperate that we're just like, screw it. I'll do anything. I'll, I'll do mold, whatever. Because before that, when we're only like moderately sick or quite sick, but not on our deathbed, we're like, ah, eh, I'm not in that paradigm. I'm still in the paradigm of juicing and saunas and supplements all the stuff that is good it's not bad i'm not saying juicing and sauna and supplements are bad i'm not saying that at all but you're still in the paradigm that you can just sort of weave your way into whatever you want to work and be your problem just like going to the hospital and telling the doctor i don't care what the blood test says i'm telling you that i want acupuncture instead of heart surgery it takes some degree of desperation to open your mind to the mold paradigm and to this mold paradigm, not to the conventional remediation mold paradigm, to the paradigm that you might be so damaged by mold that you really have to get really clear of it for quite a while to let the body heal. Not just a little bit clear, not just remediate your house, but possibly much more clear. And that's another, oh, this will be the last one that I say. That's another fallacy about mold is that if you do a little bit of mold avoidance, it's just as good as doing a lot of mold avoidance. It's the same with celiac, you guys. What if a celiac patient said, when they got their celiac test, they said, oh, well, I see that I need to avoid a little bit of gluten and I can still eat some gluten. And that's one piece of my puzzle is wheat. So I should still do acupuncture and sauna and whatever, and I can still have about half as much wheat as I was eating, or even 10% as much. That's not how it works. If celiacs, if you find out you're celiac and wheat is your problem, you can't have wheat. You cannot have wheat or else it'll make you sick. And that's the fallacy with mold is people go, oh, well, yeah, I tested my house for mold and I remediated it. It doesn't matter. If you have this disease, then in order for the body to recover, you have to get more clear of mold. You cannot just do, you know, a house is like a sponge. 
Everything in the house is porous materials. It absorbs all those mycotoxins. It doesn't matter if you scrape away a little bit of the mold and then you get your house remediated. It still may be over tolerance for your healing, just like half of a hamburger bun may be over tolerance for a celiac patient. I didn't make up the rules. Don't come at, don't come at me, guys. This isn't my game. I'm a spectator in this game and, a, and an observer. So either you got that problem or you don't, and it's a, it's a objective fact. You might say, Brian, I don't have that problem. Okay, fine. You don't have it. But you and I don't pick what our problems are in real biology. That's how wishy-washy all of this garbage has gotten is to convince us that we can pick what's wrong with us. It doesn't work when you're really sick, does it? It only works when you have a headache and you're a little tired. Then you can sort of pretend that the vitamins you took made you better. But for the people who are really, really sick, really, 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 really sick, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's why there are broke, destitute people out there who already spent all their money on all the fancy doctors and acupuncture, and they already spent all their money on all the supplements, and they're still just as sick. Because at the end of the day, we don't pick what's wrong with us. So you're only call of action at the end of this podcast is to answer the question, do you have this problem or not? And there is a specific way to discover that. Read the book, A Beginner's Guide to Mold Avoidance, which again is not my book. I don't profit from it. I have nothing to do with it. Google that name, A Beginner's Guide to Mold Avoidance, and listen to my older free podcast episode called Doing a Mold Sabbatical. It's free. I don't make money off of it. It's nothing, it, mold sabbatical has nothing to do with commerce or anybody making money. And then decide, do you have this problem? And, and that's the only question to ask at this point is, do I have it or don't I? All your opinions, all your little, you know, I'm really into incense and, and acupuncture and whatever. That's all great. I'm not saying that's bad, but that doesn't help celiac. If you have celiac and you do acupuncture and you do all that stuff, you don't get better. You might get a little better. You might get a little symptom relief but it's not the core problem. So do you have this core problem <clears throat> of having a deep rooted mold illness that isn't going to easily respond to binders and saunas and detox and remediating your house? So you need more mold avoidance than that. Do you have that problem or don't you? That's the rules of the game. Okay, guys, I'm going to end this here. Just a little disclaimer. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a mold expert. I'm not a remediation expert. I'm not a construction materials expert. I didn't discover mold avoidance. I'm not a mold avoidance expert. None of that stuff. I like to just disclaim all of that stuff so whoever comes at me will know that all I'm doing is sharing what I have learned to be true for my own situation and for many, many, many other people who have shared their story with me as well. So if you're going to try this or try anything else, please consult licensed physicians, licensed contractors, licensed mold remediators, all of that stuff. Do not take this podcast as um, medical advice. And if you enjoyed this content, um, you can support me with a $10 per month subscription and gain access to uh, 80 plus additional podcast episodes. I leave about 20% of these episodes free and about 80% of them are paid in my archive. And it's not, I don't make a lot of money from it, but it's just a little carrot for me to be motivated to keep going and keep doing this because frankly, I've already moved on to many other things in life. And this just sort of is fun for me to make a little income on, on this side hustle, this side topic. So anyway, um, there you go. Hope you guys have a good day.